0: Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the transactional underwriting Council practice at Syfar's Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hi, hello, and
1: welcome to Into the Breach. I am Brian O'Keefe, and I'm Join with my co-host Jenna Usenheimer. How are you today, Jenna?
2: Good. It's an This is an early podcast recording, so I'm a little less awake than I normally am. How are you, Brian?
1: I I am doing well. As as I was saying, uh, in our pregame here, this is usually the time of the morning where Jenna says she doesn't want to hear from Brian. She doesn't want to hear about reps and warranty insurance. She has made a special exception to be up and going in the office, True. semi-caffeinated, you know, so.
2: Semi-caffeinated is a correct description, yeah.
1: The show will get better as it goes along today, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, it's a very good observation,
1: I agree. I know, I know. Well, and Jenna, I am going to be uh, uh, leaving you in, I don't know, about 36 hours or so at this point, because... um
2: I My know. Wife and I
1: are headed uh, to Florence for our anniversary trip here. Our first like real trip since the pandemic, and uh, I will miss reps and warranty insurance while I'm gone. But I'm very I feel like you will from...
2: really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just on vacation. I did not miss reps and warranty insurance at all.
1: So okay. I think you won't miss it. And, and and how was your vacation, Jenna? You went to Greece, right?
2: Thank you for asking. Yes, I went to Greece. My vacation was wonderful. Lots of really good recommendations of places to go and things to see from our listeners and our clients. So that was very much appreciated. And what are you planning to do in Florence? Are you just are you staying in Florence the whole time or are you taking date you're
1: shaking you don't know? Yeah, we're staying. Well, I really don't know. My I mean I just <laughs> my wife likes the plan and I I just show up <laughs> right so which sure, is good it works sure. uh, It's yeah. a good way for it to work and I think of like both people like the plan there might be like more problems but I don't even think she has that much plan I think we're both just sort of looking forward to getting away um getting away for a little while so um, and the weather should be nice or what? the weather is going to be very nice this time of year so uh, I've never been to Italy so this is a uh, first time there it's for me so, so I'm uh, very excited about it so
2: well I can't remember been in Florence recently. but my very like clear memories from my pre-pandemic trip to Italy was that all the food, other the bread was not that good because they think of the bread as like a vehicle for like the olive oil and the cheese so they don't want the bread to distract. but literally everything else was like the best whatever you've ever had in your life. like the best tomato. like even I know you guys you don't really like drink that much, but like the wine from the grocery store was like eight euro. and the best wine you've ever had. So enjoy all of the eating that's ahead of you. Uh, I,
1: I do remember you telling me about that whenever you got back from that trip. So um, that that mm-hmm. has been insp- that has been inspiration all these years. <laughs> I'm so so glad to say. So well, uh, we're actually <laughs> going to take another international journey today on Into the Breach. Um, is our very loyal yeah. listeners know we've had sure. many episodes now where we've explored different international elements of reps and warranty insurance and. Keeping with that same uh, theme today, we have on Sandra Lee, who is the Chief Executive Officer for BMS Asia, uh, a Reps and Warranty Insurance Brokerage uh, Firm, and we're really excited to have you on the show today, Sandra. Thank you for joining us.
3: Yes, thank you for having me, and thank you for waking up early to to accommodate my time. Thank you. Oh,
1: well, it, it <laughs> my is, pleasure. <laughs> it is our it is our pleasure. Uh, we're happy to do it. Um, so, and you're you're in Hong Kong, is that right, Sandra? I am. I am great. great. well, thank you, thank you for staying up late for uh, to be able to do this today. So we appreciate it. So, Sandra, maybe um you just want to talk about uh, kick it off here a little bit about with our guests, the uh, your background, how you kind of got into transactional risk insurance and, and what your role is today at BMS Asia
3: Sure, sure. Thank you. I guess not so dissimilar to a lot of others um, who started around my time. I used to be a practicing M&A lawyer for um, about nine years, 10 years, when a, a role uh, came up in Asia with Aon to run the Aon M&A insurance practice. I knew next to nothing about insurance at the time. And my only interaction, which I found fascinating, that that <clears throat> five years on, um, this became a role and, and, and actually potential career in Asia, was when I practiced in Paris. So I lived in Paris for three years. I practiced there at a French firm and I had been on a deal. At that time, I had only about five years of practice at the time and, and I was on a deal where the clients as sellers who were PE, uh, selling a, a sort of a UK asset to, to a corporate buyer. Um, decided on the third day of, after two days of sort of long ne- negotiations during the day and turning around documents at night. They told us on the third day, which was going to be commercial discussions around seller caps and holdbacks and whatnot, um, that we're going to be signing, so prepare the docs because we're getting insurance. <laughs> uh, and That was my only interaction with insurance at the time. This was in 2007 or eight. Uh, so really early days, um, even for Europe. And, and, and that was it. But I did personally experience how it facilitated the transaction. And and then fast forward five years later, um, this role came out at Aeon and and I jumped at it, not really knowing what was going to happen or what I was gonna do there. Uh, <clears throat> I gave myself two years. If it didn't work out, hey, you can always go back to practice or go in-house somewhere. And those two years became well, what is it now? Almost 12 years.
1: Exactly. So wow. About, yeah. 12
3: years, so I yeah. ran, yeah, yeah. I ran the I ran the team for about 12, nine, nine years actually, but at Aeon. And the opportunity came up, um, came up with BMS to to run the Asia team, um, in the end of so twenty twenty uh, early end of twenty nineteen early twenty twenty, um, and then BMS Asia was launched at the beginning of twenty one. That's how huh? I kind of fell into it. Great, it's very well, impressive. Think, yeah, 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 congratulations. Always
1: always kind of fall into this in in uh, one way or another here. So uh, yeah, that's a very very similar story, and uh, great to hear about your background and. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about BMS Asia and um, you know what you're what you're looking to do there, what your capabilities are, your strengths are, and um, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great.
3: You know, when we were at Aon, um, we found that a lot of the people we were interacting with in the M and world hardly knew about insurance. Right, <laughs> because that's just the Asian market. Um, I know my colleagues at Aon used to say, "Oh, you know, our, our guys hardly know anything about it in the U.S., but you guys are light years ahead of us compared to what we have in Asia." Um, <clears throat> so, so we had that challenge, and then on top of it, we had the challenge of why why would we even use this insurance? What's 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 the deal about it? And so, because the base starting knowledge was so low and so basic, almost any broker who comes in and does half a job. Would get away with it as having done a good job but yeah. that really helped me and, and the team that, that was working together with me in, in terms of the quality that was out there the understanding and we really wanted to create something different so when the opportunity at bms came about um we thought hey let's let's get this platform and really try to do something else so a little bit of bms first right bms as a, as a group as a, as a firm We are London-based, founded more than 40 years ago, 1980, I think, Um, and we're Lloyd's top 10 broker globally. So in each of the sort of offices and and regions in which we operate, we are specialists. Uh, Mm -hmm. You might not actually see the same practice in all offices across the the globe in which we operate because we just want to be specialists and fill the gap in which uh, there might be in that area. So in Asia, it was identified that, you know, that there is a lack of good brokers in this space, particularly independent brokers. So, you've got this big, large platforms everywhere, right? Aon, Marsh, whatnot. But independent brokers in Asia running MA insurance and knowing what they're doing with the language skills was just a missing uh, gap to be filled. So, we try to fill that gap. What we're trying to do here is, is really to be a specialist broker. Offer the clients the advisory uh, focus that they 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 deserve. Really, telling them that it's not right to expect twenty five different exclusions on on any one deal, and that's like the norm. <laughs> and you can do better. I, I mean twenty five is a a minor exaggeration. I've seen more. You trust get it. me. Uh, so it's been it's been a good journey. Um, we also are the only dedicated independent brokers with. Offices in, in the key hubs in Asia. So off, we've got offices in Singapore, Hong Kong, Korea, so Seoul and Tokyo. And in Hong Kong and Seoul and Tokyo, we've got local language speakers. And that's really a big differentiating oh. factor as well for the clients are concerned. So all x many lawyers of or MA practitioners with the insurance and the language capabilities and trying to make a difference yeah and so what are you seeing like can you can you talk a little
2: bit about the process i think before we get into like some more details you know is the underwriting process the way it looks like in america is the policy the same you know are are, the exclusions work the same way or is it more like what we see sometimes in europe where everything in the data room is disclosed can you sort of give us you know a little bit of a sense about how it's working yeah
3: yeah so the 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 asian style is it, it, it follows more the UK style of coverage, which means the data room is deemed disclosed as a starting position. Um, I know in Europe, Yeah, it's been moving towards a hybrid policy where sometimes you've got a US bar, you do get that, that, that exclusion removed, so they would not deem it generally disclosed. We have it harder here to get done because there's a general perception that the businesses are not as well run and and therefore the disclosures are not as well you know put together and so we have less faith in the whole process and therefore we need to exclude it all big peeve of mine but that's that's what we have to deal with that's one big difference um the second is we've got some nuances and tweaks in the coverage so for example covered policy periods uh, i think we take the best of both worlds in the u.s my understanding is it's six and three years. Mm-hmm. In Europe and UK generally is seven and two. We've got seven and three um, seven. in terms of fundamentals and, and operational reps cover. So that's another difference. Um, There is a de minimis to be applied on almost all deals. You guys, I think in the US don't have that. Um, we have a retention. Does it, is it operating the same way basically or? So we also have a retention. We've got both concepts. Yeah. Both concepts. So we've got, oh, okay correct so you have a per claims amount that has to apply to every single claim and then you've mm-hmm. got a retention which is one time only the way these the, these two ha- work hand in hand is also a little bit different um you can get nail de minimis and nail retention sometimes on certain types of deals but you should expect on all deals as either one or the other to apply uh, oh. and, and most cases other than real estate typically uh, both will, com- will always have to apply on all deals retention and de minimis yeah the retention yeah. structures are also a bit different um in, in in Asia, you can expect uh no salary costs and n- no retention against the seller whatsoever. I know in the US you do see some uh sort of premium chips or, or savings in premium if, if there's some seller skin in the game or if they share the retention. There is no right uh yeah, you, you don't see any changes in premium, uh, whether or not you have a buyer sort of or, or seller retention sort of mix whatsoever. The amounts um they vary. Like I said, if it's real estate, you can expect a nail retention to be available. However, then you have to have a de minimis mile. You can't have the both. Right. Um, on a fully operational business, uh, depending on the geography, the, the lowest we've seen is 0.25 and up, up to wow. one. Yeah. And one, and these are just fixed retentions. You guys have a concept of reducing retention, which is probably quite common. Most people would, would take it. So it reduces a percentage amount after. I'm keen to actually separately ask understand how that will work from a drafting perspective because we can never really get our head around how it can accurately be captured when you when you face with a claim but separately um for us we we funds if not if they don't take a fixed retention structure they consider the re- the tipping retention to be a bit more um favorable or, or something that they prefer uh, which means you can have some one percent tipping to 0.25 or one tipping to 0.5 it, it very rarely ever tips to, to nil
2: Right, yeah. what? That's interesting. and what's the pricing like on these policies? Does it fall somewhere between the European pricing and the American pricing, given that the policy oh. is falling somewhere in between,
3: or? You know, I used to say my, <laughs> colleague, my my colleagues in the US would not get out of bed for anything more, three times what we get, so thank wow. you go. No, it's crazy. Literally, I was on a deal where we had uh, almost similar size deal, um, in, I think it was commit market to $300 million, a similar industry. One was just operating in Asia only, the other was operating in the US only. And, and so I had these two deals come within sort of three to six months of, of each other, um, but involving Asian clients. And that's how I, I, I got to see. Literally in the, in the Asian uh, uh, transaction, it was hovering around one and a half percent for a 30 to $50 million policy. Um, my U.S. colleagues were, were telling me, yeah, it was kind of, at the time anyway, it was about three times. I guess now, you know, it's a bit softer. It might be two times. Yeah, but.
1: Uh, yeah that, that actually, that's actually, that brings me to a question I was going to ask you, which is uh, I feel like sometimes we're headed that way in, uh, in the U.S. market right now. So I, I think uh, it's no secret that it's a very challenging time right now uh, in the U.S. MA markets between the high inflation and whole bunch of other geopolitical factors. Um, It's been a a tough time in the deal market. And I think that has filtered down to the reps and warranty insurance markets. So I think we're curious as to what you're seeing in the Asian uh, deal markets generally, and also how that is impacting reps and warranty insurance in Asia in terms of pricing and and the like.
3: So we've got um, a collision of very many factors that makes our position even more interesting than than what you've just mentioned. On the one hand, um, and we've just done some research because I've actually had to give a presentation elsewhere. Um, quick research from the team shows that deal of activity year on year has actually fallen 50% in this first half of the year. Um, from a deal submission perspective on what we've seen and, and what we put out to the markets, we're almost actually on track based on last year's numbers. So we're not that far off. But Overall, generally they're further and fewer between in terms of the number of deals that are out there. In addition to this, um, now, <laughs> it's just funny how things work. I- I've been in this business, I was one of the first few in, in, in Asia to, to, to jump into this area. Back in the day, we had one market in Hong Kong, one market in Australia, looking at asia pack deals. That's all you had. And then another market in, in London, if they would deign to pick up my call because we were so busy in London anyway. <laughs> um, And then for years, people have been talking to me on insurance, what's the market size, how much premium pool, blah, 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 because we're keen on thinking of bringing someone in, et cetera, et cetera. So then forever to go from that three to six um, markets up to about four years ago. So for for good, so four years, we had six reliable markets um, and and, and they are in combination between Australia and and Asia um, present here. And out of the blue probably by 2021 numbers, pushing that growth uh, sort of strategy. We've doubled that in the last six months. So we've now got 12 markets with boots on the ground. And in total, depending on where the geography right. and the industry is, we've got 25 markets with, who look at Asian deals. But th- this increase, couple, and, and sort of just starting out in Asia, coupled with the deal flow, means rotten prices for clients.
1: Right.
3: Falling right. Turning over backwards to give the best coverage possible, Recording if they can. It's it's a really good time for the clients. Um, yeah, maybe not a, so good times for the insurance.
1: But <laughs> well, yeah, it's a good it's a good good space for your clients and for you to uh, to be in there. And um, have you seen anything in terms of with many more entrance into the market? Um, you know, different industries are now being covered that wouldn't be covered before. We've certainly seen that in. United States, I mean, it used yeah. to be very challenging to get healthcare deals covered for example, but now I think a lot of markets are underwriting healthcare deals. Have you seen sort of an expansion of the types of coverage and in industries than than you saw um before this the, the current entries come in coming into place?
3: Um, not very obviously. I mean, if you mention healthcare, actually a number of our deals are healthcare and they've historically always been insurable. So it, it's not been so obvious to me from an industry type perspective. Um what's been quite obvious is is covering certain certain geographies so certain geographies mm-hmm. in North Asia for for example, were a little bit more tricky um and in certain parts of Southeast Asia a little bit more tricky and we might have only one or two quotes at best um but but now you know for fully operational sort of North Asia type of deal where previously really only one market would do it, we've got three clamoring over each other trying to outquote themselves each time right. so so it's more I think Asia is viewed um more differentiatedly from a geography perspective because obviously the u.s the u.s is one right whereas for us i think the the industry is is, is not as impactful as where the uh the geographies are and, and therefore driving the corporate governance and all the rules and regulations around it that's that's been driving people's risk appetites so wh-
2: where did the geographies that are harder
3: to get a deal insured in um historically so back in the day china deals were really hard mm-hmm. um but now you know, it's, it's almost unfathomable um, right. if you don't have a business that has some exposure in China, right? Whether it's the manufacturing right. there or the selling that you can't, you can't ignore China. So, so, you know, where you have quite a big China exposure that had been historically a bit harder to do, and you only have, for example, like AIG, you who know, we'll really only look at it, but now you've got a number of MG, MGAs that have probably picked a few other writers from MG uh, from AIG and and, and got them themselves comfortable around their risks. Yeah. Well that's good. I mean more coverage is better for everyone, right?
2: Sure. So before we move into our uh, once more onto the breach or the fun, the quote unquote fun part of the podcast, is there anything else you want yeah. to add or make sure that our listeners know about your market or your shop or you or anything before we um
3: move on? well I think it's really one one thing that I didn't um raise earlier was the big difference for me between um sort of Asia maybe even Europe and the UK versus the. US is the prevalence of self-side flips right in yeah. in Asia um yeah. and, and maybe I'm one of those guilty guilty for this for this phenomenon it's 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 been really quite well received. M- myself and the team that worked with me back a day on, um, we were the first team in Asia to have stapled on a, a sell site flip solution to an auction process and bidders were you know, happy to take on that-, that solution and the way it's been set up. Primarily because in the past, like I mentioned, we only had like three markets and you put, if you throw China into the target, uh, it might reduce your three markets to even one, for example. So from a seller's perspective, they really wanted the solution into the process you can't leave it to the buyers to to get about them because you don't know a if they will go to the right markets or if they'll they'll line them up and and prevent others from getting true to them or get the best possible coverage there um because the touch points are different or the brokers are using it's not as as experienced so that's really been something that that to me has been quite surprising because if we you know the interactions I've had with some U.S clients for example um is well no we want to use our own but then I'm telling them well your own might not be available here (laughs) because it's just different in asia so that's one of the big things i think i'm just interested to see how this might sort of evolve and change over time um but otherwise that's 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 us i guess i've already said what we're good at and and where we're looking to grow into so hopefully yeah we'll we'll see this market grow
1: together great well that's that's fantastic we really appreciate that and it's a lot of excellent substantive information about this. I don't think we've ever had a, a podcast exclusively about Asia. So I know that our listeners will really appreciate uh, all the information that you just shared with them. So, all right, because I'm a fun guy, quote unquote, uh, as Jenna was saying, I'll kick off the fun part of the podcast here. Our once more end of the breach uh, as our loyal listeners know we have three questions that first two are the same for everyone. The third will be a mystery fun question for Sandra here, but to kick it off, our first question is the biggest change that you think we're going to see in transactional risk insurance uh, in the next 12 months?
3: I think it'll be an expansion of the geographies and the coverage that we'll be able to get in China in particular, um, because it's is an inevitable part of of audio flow at the moment. Obviously, it's been closed for a while because of COVID and all the lockdowns. But with you know, as we go into whether you believe it's a recession or not, um, exits are, are 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 a common theme now. We don't want to say the R word.
2: We oh, don't out want out to say out the, out the R out word. Out.
3: Sorry. What, whatever, whatever the cycle of of the economy we might be in, but we are seeing exits, and whoever buys those businesses will have some exposure to the insurance uh, solution at some point so we i expect you know coverage and expansion to be to be a lot better in china and also for more local market local domestic markets to grow into it because right now it's still very much dominated by the international players japan on its own has developed its own local markets and is very much looking at domestic deals so why not the rest of asia that's kind of where yeah i think we'll be for the next
2: And our next question is, what is a piece of career advice that you would give to someone who might be interested in working in transactional
3: risk? You know, it's been a long time since I had these thoughts because, um, you know, I've joined insurance from a while well back. But I, when I sat here and I, I thought about that question earlier, I, I realized one of the first things that struck me when I moved into insurance is, is how much is a people business and, and, and how much that's based on the network and the people you know. It, it you know as a broker, your counterparties are technically the insurers, but they're also your friends. Yeah. They will not pick up the car and offer you that cover if if they don't like you. That's the hard we truth agree. Of it. And, and and it transcends MA insurance. It is across all lines. So so the one advice I, I would say is this is very much a people business, like it or not, um, particularly for a broker. So so consider your skill sets and if this is something you'll be happy
1: to do or want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we agree That's with that eyes. completely. Yeah, I think we've certainly found the uh the same experience. And um, you know, on, on the one hand, we're all on different sides of this, but on the other hand, we're all trying to get to the same goal. And so I think that um having those relationships and, and being able to work well across the lines with with your counterparts um is very, very important and something that we've also emphasized a lot too. So I think we agree with that completely. So all right, so the final mystery fun question. So Uh, We heard earlier in the podcast that Jenna uh, was off in Greece and I'm uh, going off to Florence tomorrow. So, Sandra, we want to know, do you have any big vacation plans, either planned later for the summer? Did you already go on some big vacation? Where where are you falling in the uh, Greece, Italy, global travel plans for Into the Breach today? I see you,
3: France. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to France for the summer. My, my, my other hub is for the actually summer? French. Oh my God, that's so nice. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, so, I, well, I got so
2: excited.
3: Yeah. When do you leave? Um well we'll be there uh, from the 5th of July till, till the beginning of August. Wow. So part of it, the kids will be with family and I'll be in London working. Um, but the other parts will be somewhere across France in the south. And in Paris, one one has to top up their shopping from time to time.
1: (laughs) Jenna, Jenna, I think this actually just inspired me. And I'm going to have to tell you now that I'm going to be gone for a month. So you get to hold down the fort for an an entire month while I'm now gone. So I think I just, you know, she just inspired me on the spot. What can I say? You know? That's
2: fine. And just remember, if you go away for a month, I get a month off later,
1: maybe in Q4. <laughs> so just- I thought, I thought just... you would say two months, but I thought you would raise me there, right? <laughs> I,
2: I'm happy to take two months off. That's
1: no
2: problem. <laughs> to be clear, but, I'm not
3: off for the whole month. I am
1: just away from the Hong
3: Kong office. So
2: we know. Of the we are,
1: yeah. I'm I'm listening listening She's not on, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sandra. We really- appreciate- Yeah, it was great. Yeah, this is great. This is excellent. Uh, a lot of really terrific information about Asia, and we've just been really pleased and delighted to, to have you on the show today. So thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, thank you for having me, and and for waking
1: up early again. I appreciate this. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> our pleasure, our pleasure. So, all right, Jenna. So I will not, I will not uh, disappear for a month. I promise. Um, Good.
2: And, uh, Good
1: thing. I know, I know, and we will uh, not disappear into the breach for a month. We will be back before then. Uh, And until then, for our guests, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit RWIPodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own. And do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Syfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by The Lawyer Publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and The Lawyer Publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.